0: We joke about it, Mike, Steve, and I'll say, if it's just the three of us at the end, so be it, but it won't. We've got a guy in Denmark, Denmark, Morton, who's set up, who's joined another guy in the East Coast as Stu Warring. You know, it's just, it's spreading. And we're all now riding together. We're, you know, we're doing two and 300 kilometer attempts just to get the hours in sitting on a bicycle for 14 hours is going to test, test all of us. But, um, it's just really, really an interesting way how, somebody of my age has had to adapt and how the virtual world and social media can actually do good. And that's, that's the big takeaway that I've had in a sense of community with a love of cycling that can be transported across the globe and, and bring
1: more people along. Sport is for everyone. And typically on Fizzo, we focus on the world of professional cycling. However, today we wanted to talk to someone outside our usual realm of the show, Kieran Ronan, this week on Put Your Socks On. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and as per usual programming, I am joined by Bobby J. Bobby how are things
2: doing great doing great a uh, little bit of a respite in the the cold weather that we had last week we um, had some summer days in december here in greenville south carolina so been taking full advantage of that we have our fizzo alumni larry warboss from ag2r visiting here in town so he's been uh, kicking up the pace of our local kind of gentlemen's rides every single day so yeah Hanging in there? How are you doing,
1: mate? I'm doing well. I uh, witnessed a 24-hour track running race over the weekend. I was shooting a uh, a film, and um, man, I tell you what—like people do some messed-up things. But 24 hours around a 400-meter athletic track uh, is is next level. Yeah, if you want, if you want to see, if you want to see people put themselves through all hell, uh, you should you know, go and, go and spectate one of those events. Um, so, you know, the level of respect I have for, for, you know, uh, ultra endurance athletes is very high, but ultra endurance athletes that decide to do something, uh, as, on something as mind numbing as, as a 400 meter track is, uh, is just another level above that completely. So yeah, that's how I've been spending my time over the last week, um, which has been, you know, opening.
2: Nice, nice. Well, there was quite a bit of news. And again, we always have to start off with our Put Your Socks On alumni. Uh, Alan Piper, who was so gracious with his time pretty much right after the Tour de France to come on FIZO, he wins the Crystal Bike DS of the Year Award. That's got to be amazing. Um, you know, Alan's been in this sport a long time. And you know, he, he's had some health issues, which uh, we, we hope he's getting on top of, but it's so great to see him get the recognition that he deserves after so many years in the sport. And um, let's just say not many people have his level of passion and dedication to the sport of professional cycling.
1: Absolutely. Could not agree more. He, uh, you know, again, that what a phenomenal Tour de France that was and to, to be able to have him on the show and... Just hear about the, you know, how long of a process that was. Uh, I think a lot of viewers would see, um, you know, the win by uh, Pogachar as, you know, opportunistic in this, you know, this last day move. But, you know, if, if, if you haven't, go back and listen to that podcast because you'll get a real understanding of just how much planning went into that particular time trial stage. Um, so, yeah, great news for Alan Piper.
2: Not quite a alumni of FIZO, but we did have his son Jeffrey on the show. Greg LeMond was awarded awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. He is the, the first cyclist to ever get this award and only the 10th individual athlete to receive this award. The Congressional Gold Medal is one of the highest civilian awards in the nation and seeks to honor those who have performed an achievement that has an impact on American history and culture that is likely to be recognized as a major achievement in the recipient's field long after the achievement. And let's just say he succeeded at that. I mean, he's the reason why I got into cycling, or one of the reasons why I got into cycling, and so many more of us. So, um, congratulations to Greg for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a huge honor, and uh, and and fantastic for the sport of cycling. I think you know, at a time when the sport is definitely experiencing a bit of a uh, a bit of a, a global golden period.
2: And we can't really go much further without saying, mentioning the the 2020 cycling eSports World Championships. I mean, that was a, a big deal last week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you caught those, Bobby, but um, some pretty ferocious racing. And, you know, I do love how they have the, the camera set up on the athlete on their home trainer. And I watched Ashley moulin Passio sprint to victory in what was... Uh, you know an incredible effort like watching her doing that standing sprint for what for what felt like about five minutes at the finish there was awesome uh she she was the winner of the women's race ahead of sarah gigante from australia cecilia hansen from sweden rounded out the top three and then a duo of americans uh lauren stevens and jackie godby came in fourth and fifth there so you know Uh pretty pretty exciting racing there on the on the female front. And I think this year, you know, the esports world champs kicked off last year and under a little bit of controversy, but this year we had some some really big names and after a year of Zwifting, uh it's hard to argue that they were not going to be competitive.
2: Yeah, it was full on legit. I love the way that Zwift broadcasted the the Mm -hmm. two races. Like the women's was going on and we got to watch the end of the women's race and then kind of tacked in there like halfway through the men's race so they they really truncated it down to a very very easy viewable admission and i thought that was great and maybe something that we could look at in the future but the men's race uh like you mentioned the women's race was very very contested i mean there was quite a few ladies in there with a chance to win and ashley just uh um, you know put herself in the hurt locker for that half a second longer than than sarah but in the men's race Man, this what this blew me away. I mean, when mm-hmm. I saw the guys that were taking the start of this, you know, Holden Camus, Rigoberto Oran, Michael Valgren, when they started tossing it up that final climb, and there were names that I hadn't recognized before. And Jason Osborne who is a German rower. Right. He uses cycling as cross-training. Won <laughs> it, it, pretty pretty easily against two Danish guys. And Anders, you're going to have to pronounce those names, Gus. I'm terrible.
1: Anders Foldiger and Nicholas Pedersen from Denmark. Yeah. both of those in second, third.
2: I mean, to to be honest, i i was I was blown away that a rower could, you know, beat. The Zwift pros as well as the World Tour pros so easily, but um, I don't know. After the Olympics uh, in rowing, we may have a new German sensation because that was that was pretty impressive. And um, you kind of have to go a little bit far down the line to to see a a, a real professional World Tour or uh, Continental Pro athlete. So th- these guys did some phenomenal rides, and um, I thought it was great racing. So. Hope hope we'll see more of it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And the cyclocross is in full season for Matthew Vanderpol as well as, you know, the rest of the field. But uh M uh VDP won the shelter cross, uh, which was, you know, pretty exceptional. And again, like, you know, as you note here, Bobby, how on earth does he maintain year round fitness like that and, and, and he's at the head of at the head of seemingly every bike race that he enters.
2: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, um, the 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 motor that this guy has and his ability to recover is quite impressive. And also in the Shell de Cross, Denise Betsema won the, mm-hmm. the women's race. Yep,
1: and then we had also another week, uh, another race over the weekend with young Tom Pidcock uh, taking victory ahead of Van der Poel. Um It was Tom's opening. Race at at the open in the open category in the cyclocross, and this kid, you know, he won the baby Giro earlier this year. You know, we spoke about it last week. He won the e-bike eBike uh, World Champs or a couple of weeks ago, and then now he wins uh, he wins uh, ahead of VDP in his opening uh, senior cyclocross race. So another young guy uh, that is just going from strength to strength. And, and when you sort of seemingly think, okay, he sort of won everything he can, he does another thing to level up on that. Um, and with him heading to Ineos next year, man, the sky is the limit for that kid and another exciting young prospect uh, on the world tour to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, you can't say enough good things about this kid either. And it'll be really interesting how he makes that transition over to, to Ineos next year for sure. And And yeah, we had... Lucina Brand won the women's race, uh, just beating Batsimov, who won the previous day. So, cyclocross season is here.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking about uh, the end of the year and the cyclocross season, that in some, you know, in some ways brings us to, to today's guest, Kieran Ronan. The Senior Director of Global Equipment at Nike, Kieran Ronan has met the world's top athletes and knows a thing or two about sport. So today we sit down with Kieran to talk about finding the bike later in life, the power of a professional athlete to inspire, and perhaps most importantly, the way he is using the bike to raise funds and awareness for the WBR, that is the World Bicycle
2: Relief. Need a last minute holiday gift idea? Active Pass is the perfect gift for any cyclist on your shopping list. And the best part is there's no shipping involved. You schedule when you want us to send the email to the gift recipient. Loaded with members-only benefits like over a 1,000 training plans, event access, exclusive content, magazines, books, meal plans, healthy recipes, and more, Active Pass is the gift they'll use all year round. We have a special offer for Put Your Socks On listeners. Save 20% on Active Pass gifts now during our last chance holiday gift sales. Visit VeloNews.com slash That's VeloNews.com forward slash and save 20% on Active Pass memberships. Your friends and family will thank you. Offer expires December 24th. Okay, I think by now, everyone knows that we're the people's podcast. You know, we, we talk with a lot of people who are deeply connected to the world of professional cycling, but, but hey, not everybody is a Chris Froome or a Fabian Concholera, but there's a lot of passionate people out there. So, Kieran Ronan, welcome to Put Your Socks On.
0: Bobby, thank you very much indeed. Gus, uh, it's an absolute honor and pleasure to be here. You know, just looking back on some of our listening to some of your recent podcasts, you know, Chris Froome, Michael Rogers, Fabian Cancellara, and now you have me on. This kind of has my head scratching a little bit, but it's not about me. It's here to talk about, as you said, putting people on bicycles and maybe sharing a little bit of my story along the way of how extremely overweight, fat people can get on a bicycle and do things that they never imagined with the help of a lot of former professionals. And maybe we we'll get into that a little, a little later, but. Um, as you call out, I'm, I'm yes, I'm employed by Nike and um, I happen to be very fortunate to run our equipment business from a product standpoint. Uh, 27 years with Nike, I've worked across and visited over 34 countries and have been amazed this last eight months because of COVID. How we've all learned to connect through a computer screen and how character comes out on a computer screen. And I can maybe touch a little bit on that when we get into the uh, swift, swift conversation and and how we are here today to talk about this.
1: Absolutely. And, and you just alluded to it a little bit just then, but I want to ask you, you know, you found cycling later in life. Can you tell us what led, what led you to the bike and, and the sport of cycling?
0: Yeah, great, great question, Gustin. In simple terms, we I was very fortunate with the company. I moved to Holland, our European headquarters, uh, at the end of uh, 1999. And Holland, as you're all well aware, is, you know, if you don't have a bicycle, there's something seriously wrong. And I cycled to work. I had a, 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 an OPA feats, and it just grew from there. And a couple of colleagues, you know, to mention names, hopefully they will listen to this. Paul Santon. You meet people along your, your life that have a a massive impact, and I, I, with your permission, a few names will will come out, but I worked with Paul Santon, and there was a, a, a vicious rumor going around that a team were getting together to attack the Tap tour in 2005, just at the end of 04. I have a big zero coming in a birthday the following May, and I thought, we have an no old saying in Ireland, when there's a zero approaching in your age, adapt or adjust six months ahead, because when the psychological warfare kicks in, when you hit the zero, you're playing catch-up. So I thought, okay. With that in mind, I put my name forward. I was, give or take, 120 kilos, or in American language, that's 260 pounds-ish. And I was met with hysterical laughter. Might have been a few expletives going, there is no way that you're going to get up three mountains in the, in, in France. And I said, well... There's only one thing worse than me not getting up a mountain is me beating you up the mountain. So I discovered how fat people can be motivation for skinny people because you don't want the terror of someone like me finishing in front of you on an de tour. So six months later, I did it. And uh, I don't know how many I've done since. I've, I've attempted a few of the Spring Classics, Flanders. Every one of them was more, more miserable than the next. And I just kept going. And with a lot of encouragement from a lot of pros over the years, Bobby, I had the pleasure of riding alongside your mate George hincappy before the tour of California with another name that I'll drop, Tom Davies, who's the sports marketing director for giant in Europe, a mad Welshman. Um, and he and I, he pushed me up the which was the first mountain I attempted to climb back in 2005. So it just, it, it just, I was the entertainment. I like to put it that way. I mean, I've had a lot of people look at me and go, you're not getting up. There's no way you're going to get up that mountain and you do. And then you find, you find the, the connection that you get with people, irrespective of fitness level, irrespective of what it is, but to suffer on a bicycle. And I've played some, you know, somewhat barbaric sports that we have in Ireland. It's a different set of suffering, and it, it binds people together in a way that you have to do it to appreciate it. And then someone got me involved, and now how, how do I get people involved myself and, and give back, so to speak, um, despite the abuse I took along the way.
2: Well, let me just start off by saying if the tourmalade was the first climb that you ever did, you definitely started <laughs> off in that um, expert level as far as uh, European climbs go, but I think that your journey is very inspiring to the masses that have yet to be exposed to this relatively new uh, indoor riding platform. We have a lot of them out there. You know, you have become the Zwift master, uh, especially since the 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 whole you know COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. I did a little digging and I see that you are level 50, which is the highest level that you can get at the moment, that you've logged over 34,000 kilometers on Zwift and spent over 40 days of your life sweating to the oldies on on that platform. Tell us a little bit how you find this experience of riding indoors and how you use it and how it's benefited you throughout this last couple, you know, nine, 10 months. Great
0: question. Uh, master, but might be, Far too high a term, but coming from you, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Maybe we can talk about that later on. But a gentleman I know who you know, Bobby, uh, by the name of Paul Francis. Gus, another mad Australian, a former professional rower, and another guy out of Australia, Jimmy Burton, who I might get a chance to touch on as well. But Paul, Paul was on Zwift, and it's just shy of two years. And he was breaking my chops going, you've you got to try this thing out. And I am going, there is no way. I have the bike in the garage, I'll get on and I'll. Tom Davies again gave me a little, little routine that he got from some pro along the years to tick down five minute blocks to try and get to an hour on a bike. That was, that was my limit and lo and behold, January 1st last year, I said, I'm going to try it. Seven day trial. How bad can it be? And I think I, I think I pressed the button to, to, for the subscription on day three, there was a, there was just an element of, it was just so engaging hadn't a clue what I was doing. And you know, Bobby, I said this to you, we chatted a couple of weeks ago, there are two types of cyclists. There's professionals and novices, and there's nothing in between. And the same thing on Zwift, you're a novice. You're trying to figure out, what is this? What are all these power ups and these various things? And you know, the panic that you have two minutes before the start of a group ride or a race and in the fear of the internet connection going down and how the mind just wanders. So it was just last year was, it was uh, an opportunity to put, less about kilometers, but more about, uh, hours, how many hours can I do that? I wouldn't get outside. And, uh, actually last November, uh, the 15th of November, I was, I visited with specialized down in Morgan Hill with, I was riding with Mike Sinyard, Colin Day and Mark Cody down there, trying out the their new electric road bike or a pedal assist bike. And uh, you talked about this in some of your recent podcasts, which I think is, is phenomenal to hear someone like you say it doesn't matter. What you're riding if you're getting out there, and what the power of pedal assist can actually do for the not just the industry but people in general across the globe. And I got this opportunity. Colin Dawes, a former U.S. National Amateur Road Champion, who would ride with me for two minutes normally during a warm-up, and I got to ride an hour and a half with him, and it just changed the whole impression that I had of you know what this can actually do in terms of of bringing people together in a way that you would never happen because to use a term, you mentioned a couple, there's an elitism to the high end of any sport. But now suddenly, and, and, you know, the elitism of the sport, you look at bike racing and we've all watched it. You, You've competed on TV. The spectators are banging you across the back of the head as you're climbing a mountain. Where do you get that opportunity in any other sport you don't? And now suddenly this opens up this whole new world. So anyway. Getting back to the Zwift question, apologies. So November the 15th, I got back. I'd actually been in Asia prior to that for a couple of weeks, so I'd been off the bike. And as a result of Zwift, um, and around about the same time last year in Nike, we came up with a, a term, you know, make sport a daily habit. And I thought, well, if you're gonna embody that, can I do it? So here we are, December 15th, 14th, 15th, and I have not missed a day on the bike since November 15th of last year. That's ours I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got. So your, your numbers, Bobby, to your point have come as a result of that. And just becoming, putting your word, you're putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak your word is your bond. They're going to try it. And that's how, that's how I got into it.
1: And I guess like to speak, you know, more broadly about your experience in the sporting world, you know, you said you've been at Nike Nike for, for 27 years with your, you know, with the relationships you've had and and, and the encounters you've had with some of the most influential athletes, you know, across a very wide range of sports. Um, I'm interested to hear like, where have you seen sport have the greatest impact on the lives of the general public?
0: Great question, Gus. There's just, there are just so many. I mean, when I started with Nike in Ireland in 93, you literally couldn't give the product away. I mean, we were just a, a fledging sporting brand at the time. Obviously, hugely successful in the US, and you just look at the overall global sales at the time compared to where we are now. It was, you know, significantly less. And then, you know, we got into global football, soccer. At the time, we decided to get into that really in, in 1994, and that just changed the trajectory of everything because it's the it's the global sport, and you just see the excitement. I mean, I've been involved in in product teams for since I moved to the US 14 years ago, and going out to meet with with kids consumer focus groups and just seeing the excitement and the 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 desire in their eyes when you when you bring out a a a shoe piece of clothing or in my case now these days you're bringing out the new football that we launched earlier on this year and just the sheer excitement and belief that they can with this product whether not just ours but anybody in the industry how that can change and transform them and then when you get when you get a, a a professional athlete to get down and talk to them at their level just the power and influence that the you know fans the term fans comes from fanatics people are fanatical about whether it's teams or individuals and to get part of that and having an athlete just give give somebody a pat on the back or a word of encouragement it can change Not necessarily their sporting prowess, but their life in general, how you give motivation. You know, again, listening to some of the athletes that you've had on after crashes, coming off in injury, you know, looking for motivation. Professional athletes in the public eye change people's lives. You know, you just look at some of the following that they have on Instagram, the power of their word. And that you know, Bobby to my point to you on My belief is that former cyclists, former professional cyclists and current professionals in this new world of Zwift or any of these other platforms, by connecting and joining rides and giving people encouragement, you just can't put a number on it. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you, you've all talked about, you know, who your inspiration was and what put you on a bike back in your day. And Gus, you know, you, when you, when you retired the first time and then moved into the, the film industry, like, who was your motivation there? People are people. You know, water finds its own level. And if you get a chance to connect with someone of your caliber, it, it changes people's lives, irrespective of age. And has to be just about kids, you know, people like myself who can get inspired by a bit of encouragement from, from someone like yourself to, to keep going. There's always another hill. I remember riding with Brian Holm and Tom Davies down in, in Palo Alto a number of years ago and Brian Holm was just giving me dogs abuse. Brian actually spent some chi- time as a child in Ireland and I'm not able to breathe. We were out riding with the t- uh, higher team high road at the time prior to the tour of California and I'm just getting dogs abuse. But yet you're not going to give in. And when we got back at the end of the day, we might have had a, might have had a pint or three that night. And Brian and I chatted about cycling in his day and it was 150, 160 kilometers a day of training rides with a apple and one bead on of water. And you just think of how the industry has changed, how sport has changed with wellness, nutrition, rest, recovery. Things, if you mentioned it when I was back playing sport, you'd be ridiculed for being something that I can't say on, on live on, on air. <laughs> the power that the likes of you have in changing people's lives, you just, you can't, you can't legislate for it, it's huge.
2: Other than, a ride-on on on Zwift or a kudos on Strava looking at the sport of cycling and the professional tour that we have how can professional cyclists use their platforms to get more people on bikes is it as simple as a hand gesture a wave uh coming on a podcast for example but in your eyes uh i'd be interested to hear what what you think about that
0: just you know so if I give you, a, maybe i just give you the quick swift story um, of how how it went from a daily exercise to actually something that has combined with COVID and human human nature in and of itself. So back in March, I'm on a group ride um, early morning and I get, there's two guys who are doing a lot of chatting. You know, there's always, there's always a couple of people who are a little bit more vocal than others. So the screen is lighting up. Guy called Steve Cambria, who's uh, out of Staten Island in New York, and Michael Ziok out of Bellevue in Washington. And they asked if anyone had a pair of strong legs with help at the back. So I'm still I, you know, I, I have trouble t- texting, standing up, not to mind on a bicycle, but I just said yes, dropped back and did a little bit of helping. That was, in, that was the back end of March. Uh, at the end of June, this lunatic in, up in uh, Washington said, We're going to do Everest. And he's 64 kilos, I'm 95, and I go, sure, whatever. So we did Everest, and then I went back and said, okay, what about we do the Leadville 1,000-foot challenge? So we did that, and then Steve in New York said, we'll do 320K. And with that, as this evolved, what occurred to me was the character that is in the, that is in the human flesh that appears on a virtual avatar, by words and actions, inside is the very same as outside. So here's two guys mike at the time was actually doing a little bit more leading um with the yellow beacon and steve was was the um red beacon sweeper and i've actually since mike has, has come down to portland and we've ridden outside with um with a memorial ride for a very close friend of ours former friend who did a lot of cycling did the attacks with us Hogger bishman who passed nine years ago and mike came down and he was exactly the same character on the bike outside as inside and the more i thought about this you know, then then you really start to observe it. And then there's more and more people in the little community um, who start to ride together. And it just it just started to snowball over the last eight months. And now it's a case of, you, you look at some of the numbers that people are putting up. There's the, uh, I was asked to help out leading by Jason Wagner. He's in Atlanta, Georgia. And the reason I'm saying Atlanta, Georgia, or Bellevue, Washington, I discovered that when I moved to America, people have to say that, whereas if you say you're from Melbourne, you don't say Australia because people, or if I say I'm from Limerick, I don't have to say Ireland. But anyway, I digress. But Jason Wagner does 1,400 kilometers a week, and he's not and he's not the highest. <laughs> he writes five hours a day. And the amount of people that he's brought in, You know, I started doing meetups with him six, six months ago. There was six of us. Now he's got 30, 40 people who will ride with him during the meetup. So this ability to, to drive community with like-minded people just struck me as COVID. Earlier on in the in the year, you'd get on on a given weekend, there might be two, 3,000 people on any of the worlds. Now there's up to 15,000. So to answer your question, we were on a ride just in the morning and a pro Cameron Piper out of Morgan Hill was on. He's wearing a different jersey and suddenly there was a whole pile of chat. People who would never get involved are chit-chatting. A gentleman by the name of Tom Craddock, whose son I believe is a professional, happened to be on as well. And he gets involved and you know all the time over the last couple of weeks mike steve and i have been hammering on every ride the wbr 500 this december 30th we're attempting to ride 500 kilometers in support of world bicycle relief and we're we're advertising the living daylights out of it and by just asking people for support the word of mouth and just seeing the reaction to people when there's a pro on a group ride I mean, you just see it when when there's a swift organized ride, and a pro shows up. You can have two thousand people on a group ride. Ordinarily, you might have forty. So that that platform for pros to get on and encourage people and get them to encourage their friends to me is you can't quantify that today. But what is it going to look like in three years' time? You know, I worked for a company that was involved in bringing the jogging boom in the '70s. I firmly believe, being in this industry for as long as I have, cycling is about to hit the boom, but who are the evangelists? It's those that do it, and just the openness of the sport gives us an incredible opportunity to change people's lives for for the better, in every sense of the word, and we can talk about Bicycle Relief in a few
2: minutes. Oh, I absolutely believe, uh, we, we know that people use indoor riding platforms for a myriad of reasons, whether it be just getting fit, racing to stay sane, but you already touched on it, is one of the, I believe, the most important is the social awareness aspect and and fundraising efforts. And you touched on it a little bit, but World Bicycle Relief, this is an organization that's committed to changing lives with knowledge, bicycles, freedom, mobility, and movement. Tell us a little bit more in depth because I I want people to know about this organization as well as the event that you have coming up, raising, raising funds for it.
0: Yeah. Again, um, trying to find something to, to turn this event into a global piece, you know, cause there's so many local charities and every charity has every reason for doing it. I mean, there's so many people in all sorts of distress all over the world, but again, back to the cycling and why we picked this Mike again, as I said in, in um, Seattle is, has been heavily involved with World Bicycle Relief for a long number of years. And I'm aware of it, you know, been in and around the industry for quite some time. And you look at you know, essentially the, the SRAM founders setting this up 15 years ago after the uh, Indian ocean tsunami and how it has evolved to this day, 15 years later, where there's 532,000 bikes have been delivered around the world. But more importantly, to your point, Bobby, what it does for changing like just 2.8 million people's lives have been positively impacted as a result from education, healthcare workers, and even entrepreneurs you know local business people setting up being able to carry their produce on a bicycle designed to carry a hundred kilo um, of cargo around the place and just what that gives and and uh, fk day does a phenomenal ted talk on using the term of what bicycle is for for people around the world is transport and how it changes lives You know, and i know i remember myself you know as a kid cycling to and from work it was there was it wasn't a. It wasn't a second car in the family, not to mind three or four, as you'll see in some parts of the U.S. But transportation and the ability to to move people, to give people motivation, you you see that you see the results with from an education standpoint, particularly in a lot of countries in Africa, where young girls have to drop out of school because of what the expectation is culturally from chores at home, taking care of younger siblings, et cetera, but to give them that opportunity to continue to go to school and how they use the bike as a a reward, if that's the word to use, you know, stay in school and the bike is provided. And for us, how fortunate we are, and I know you know, looking at my own kids growing up and what we've been exposed to and the opportunities we've had to just pause and say, how can we give back? How can we leverage the Zwift platform to do good, not just for the individual on the bicycle, but to take it somewhere else and have a meaningful impact and helping others who have no idea about Zwift, who have, in some cases, there's no access to electricity, not to mind internet. Their, their day, their transportation is based on what sunlight is there. And you give a bicycle and suddenly you're, you can do things four to five times faster in that same time period and how that transforms and changes lives. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal.
2: So how do people get involved with your event that you have coming up on December 30th? And is there, is there a website or is it directly through mm-hmm. Zwift? How, how do we do this?
0: So we've actually, we've thought long and hard about it, Bobby, in the sense of how do we make it global? And how do we get people to participate for one or 500 kilometers? You know, I was joking the other day that I'm going to get my own relay team of 499 people and myself. Um, as opposed to having to do the 500 on my own. But, you know, we're just and it's again, it's back to it's back to how do you find motivation, right? Not scaring people into say that you have to do 500 kilometers. There is a few of us idiots who will definitely do our damnedest to go the distance. Um, but it's just, again, trying to circumnavigate the Zwift setup, right? So it's not going to be an advertised event per se, although we would love it. Zwift did send an email out to that effect. So our thought is as follows. We're going to Use the Tempest Fugit course on Watopia just because of the out-and-back nature. If people need a little rest stop, they can stop 2 or 3K out before the turn and then jump back on when the group comes back. So essentially, we're going to publicize or advertise. We have a group page set up on on Strava, which is um, Strava Groups WBR 500. We also have an Instagram page set up, uh, which is WBR. 500 as well where we will post all the information as we get closer in and our attempt is to have team excuse me time zone captains scattered across the globe that people will follow on swift companion so when you click on them on the day of the event you go to Watopia Tempest. you look for the name everybody's asked to put in brackets wbr 500 so you can identify Click on that name that you follow and you will be, you'll be transported into wherever that person is on the course at that given time. So that's really the the thought process behind it. And, you know, when we started advertising this as such on Zwift, we set up the the, uh, club page. We're up to 522 members as of this morning. Um, We have 45 people, I believe, who've actually clicked to say, yes, they will join the ride and uh, now i will start to um cajole people uh, that i know into doing it as well i've got a lot of friends who are going to do it um, as part of uh, they're going to set up a team really you know five guys will do 100 kilometers and so on and so forth so just keeping keeping the word out and then more important how do we keep it going you know i mean if we joke about it mike steve and i say if it's just the three of us at the end so be it but it won't we've got a guy in denmark denmark martin who's set up who's joined another guy in the east coast as Stu warring you know it's just it's spreading and we're all now riding together we're you know we're doing two and three hundred kilometer attempts just to get the hours in, in my case the lower back at, at at six foot five sitting on a bicycle for 14 hours is going to test test all of us but um it's just really really an interesting way how so many of my age has had to adapt and how the virtual world and social media can actually do good. And that's that's the big takeaway that I've had in a sense of community with a love of cycling that can be transported across the globe and, and bring more people along.
2: And one of the really cool things that you said to me, I mean, I I like these little sayings like be a faucet, not a drain to your friends. Mm-hmm. It's about participation, not the pace. But mm-hmm. you had told me Another one that that is up on my favorites now. It's about completion, not competition, and Correct. I think I think that's just a phenomenal way of looking at it.
0: Because again, you know, the, the, the beauty of cycling. I mean, rug, rugby is another major passion of mine, and I, I liken the two. I remember the very first day vividly when when I was put on a bicycle by two physiologists from the Dutch Rabobank team at the time and put through the protocol at you pros professionals have to do on a regular basis. And I remember the two boys shutting everything down. My heart rate went to 202. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I remember very vividly about what am I doing? Where am I going? And, and, and everything else that's associated with this to, to to just take it to a point now today that, yeah, my my comment back then was to we are going to complete this thing if it kills me. I nearly did before I even started. But this, the connection between rugby and cycling is there are no names on the back of a shirt. Yes. And the team you have, when you're riding, you've got your, you've got your number on the bicycle. There's not a name. I know to tell it that the commentators know who you are and so does everybody else watching, but there's a, there's a, a story told about Paul O'Connell, Irish international, captain Ireland, Ireland, um, played for Munster. Incredible, incredible individual. He's one of the, you know, top-ranked rugby players had ever laced up a pair of boots. And he just talked about that a number of years ago. He actually came and spoke, if I remember correctly, uh, to the Ryder Cup team, the European Ryder Cup team. So how sport, you can take things from other sports. And he talked about when you're handed that number and it is your responsibility to show respect for those, that person who was there before you and hand that jersey over in as good, if not better, state to the person who's coming behind you. And I just, and it always struck me that in a similar vein with cycling, it doesn't matter what size you are. You have a part to play in a team, right? Whether it's someone who's going to sit on the front, do a lead out, climb up a mountain, whatever it is, you have a you have a part to play, and everybody respects that position, and they put trust in you to do that. And that's what I just see with within cycling, and even within the world of how Zwift have actually managed to calculate through the algorithms of power to weight ratio it's it's watched through a pedal and how you can how you can change somebody by you know i was on a couple of weeks ago and it was a, a lad with an irish flag and i noticed he was doing 400 he and he's 467 kilometers on the bike and he called out to say i'm doing this 500 for charity and i thought just the coincidence what we're doing uh, i was due to get off the bike i texted i texted the boss and i said i need another hour um, I'm going to help this fella get to the finish. And we were just chit-chatting and he got, we ended up doing 508 kilometers. And I just talked to myself, it's just, it, it was the very same when we were back playing as kids in the street, how you help somebody, somebody's giving it back to you. And it's just, sometimes it's just that word of encouragement back to your earlier question, the thumbs up, but a word, a spoken word can change it. You. you can feel that the, the heckles coming up on the back of the neck when you get a compliment. Just, you know, just at that moment before you bonk, but then turning it into a positive, how that the, the, the body takes over and the endorphins kick in and you just, you find strength because somebody gives you encouragement. And that's what I feel that professional cyclists can give to the rest of us.
1: And on that, looking forward to, or to, to, to 2021 and beyond, what are you most excited about in the world of sport? coming out of this pandemic, um, but also looking forward to, to the future. It's,
0: it's a, f- a phenomenal question cause you, you're, you're, you're rattling me with quite a few great questions to be fair. <laughs> you know, the ret- we talk about again, being in the industry. I mean, uh, we're all in is, is the return to sport with, from a spectator standpoint, that live aspect to that, right? We saw, we saw great results of that in during the tour this year with, with spectators back. You know, you look at New Zealand, there's full stadiums, you know. Mm. know, So everybody's craving for that that connection. Bobby, you talked a couple of weeks ago about your birthday and that, that special hug that you had. Right, you know that everybody is, you know, this this elbow bump and all the stuff that's going on. But just but the craving for that to just reignite the world, and, and when we come back out of it, you know, chatting with with friends in China where they've more or less returned to normal from from a work standpoint, as an example, and you know, I'm on I'm on calls with colleagues over there. They're all back in a room, just they're sitting beside each other, and just that you suddenly there's such an envy. Going, how can you get that? So to have sport come back, but from my point of view and this again kind of leans on on the point i'm making is that for the superstars and the professionals of sport to realize in this moment how strong their voice is has even more has become even more stronger than where it was beforehand that the platform that they have to to help people in every aspect of, in any sport has been transformed because of COVID, and just. To, you know, do you think about the, the science of sport that it's, it's, you know, even the voice, there's a lot of conversations going on around mental illness, you know, looking at rugby as an example with, with concussions, right? Things that we would never have talked about um, coming back after crashes, listening to Chris Froome as an example on your, on your podcast. There is power in that, that everybody is, you know, at the end of the day sports stars can often be deemed as not being human by the general public, but they are. And having that connection, and making it more real to people. I, I'm just convinced it can change for the better an awful lot of things that have gone on over the last number of years and bringing, bringing people together. I love That it. answers your I question.
2: I have one last question. Sure. So I understand that you are one of those matchy-matchy types on the bike and even somewhat of a policeman when it comes to <sighs> perceived kit errors from other, from other riders. So, okay. Uh, You know, as an ex professional, I have my ideas of the do's and don'ts. But what are some of your do's and don'ts? And most importantly, how do you put your socks on? (laughs) Inside out, so that they don't. (laughs) 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 No
0: no distraction. I mean, you're just looking for. I have to admit, I, I have switched to merino wool. Um, having tried all sorts of things before, and typically six hours in, you know, you would not know what six hours is, Bobby, because you were finished, you know, everything in three hours. But when you get out there long, the feet burn off you with polyester or or any of those synthetic fabrics. So merino wool inside out so there's no little little bits annoying my, my sensitive toes.
2: <laughs> oh jeez, I thought you were kidding there. I'm gonna have to try yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> have to Man, that. that. We'll have to make the next run of put your uh, of Fizzo socks in merino wool and, no, and, you gotta and turn them inside out. Yet.
0: Yeah, that is that's the only or let's just get the you know well, we can talk further than that offline, but yeah. <laughs> merino, merino wool is the way to go. And I mentioned my friend earlier on, Holger Bishman. I remember Holger, we were writing a T Mobile, the pink black bike the two of us had years ago. And he turned up one day wearing the US postal team kit. And he was so proud. He even had metallic blue city shoes on. And I looked at him because you'll know what I'm going to say when I say this. And I said, You look like a bag of dolly mixtures. You've got a. he just, you know, or, <laughs> or, or in the US pick and mix. You know, you go to the, the store, Bobby, where you've got every type of candy in the world and you pick out your bits and pieces. So there's just that's the that's one end of the extreme, but at least try and make things look that you thought about going out on the bike. Because if you know if you look good, you feel good, the pedal stroke potentially is a little bit better. So just the small little details. It's all it's all us amateurs can you can do in the, real, in the
1: real world. So if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm t- picking this up correctly, because I want to make sure that I do. Do here and it's, I'm going to turn up in my, on my T-Mobile bike with my T-Mobile socks and my T-Mobile kit, but I'm going to turn it all inside out and I'm going to put my helmet on back to front and I'm going to ride Zwift.
0: <laughs> you know what, Angus, the fact that you're on Zwift, you can get away with that, Gus. You know, in all seriousness, it's, you. at the end of the day, Bobby, you just, we're all out there you're wearing Lycra. It, it's not, a, in my case, it's never going to be a good look. It's like trying to, you know, pushing 210 pounds into Lycra not designed for it so you put your socks on like everybody else you get out you enjoy it and oh by the way can we just get cyclists to wave at one another it's not that hard
1: I agree <laughs> agree
0: hard.
2: awesome awesome well I am a big fan of the wave and uh, that started back when I was very young my dad used to scold me if i didn't wave to the other cyclists coming Mm -hmm. but um yep that's just another way of uh, getting more people on bikes kieran thank you so much for your time today we really appreciate the chat we look forward to participating and Mm -hmm. um watching you do your event for for world bicycle relief
0: well bobby and guys if we could get you to show up on the day for a few minutes would be absolutely phenomenal Uh, bobby i know you're great mates with george and a few others but if if you would spread the word, I mean, it would be just Absolutely. phenomenal just to, for, for the rest of us mere mortals to, to get a chance to, to get the motivation from yourselves would be just phenomenal. And uh, I look forward to chit-chatting with you on the day. And again, from my standpoint, on behalf of the team that have put this thing together, thank you. I mean, a huge honor uh, privilege to chat with you both. And uh, I really do appreciate it. Thanks a million.
2: And that's it, everyone. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you again to Kieran Ronan for joining us. You can find all our past episodes as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at VelaNews.com. Please continue to listen, like, and subscribe at whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or fizzo, P-Y-S-O. We appreciate your support. And please spread the word by telling your friends about us. You
1: can reach out to us on social media at physopod on Twitter or at that is Gus and at Bobby.julick on Instagram. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. My name's Angus Morton.
2: Thank you, everyone. This is Bobby Julek reminding you to stay safe, stay sane, stay calm, and don't forget to put your socks on.